0: Welcome to Divorce Right, HR solutions for divorce in the workplace. I'm your host, Vicki Townsend, and welcome to the show for HR directors, managers, and department heads looking for solutions for their divorcing employees. Divorce is the second highest life stressor coming in just slightly behind death of a loved one. From presenteeism to absences and everything in between divorcing employees cost our country billions of dollars each year in lost productivity. In this show, you'll learn how you can help your employees through this very challenging life event. So join us every Monday, where we dive into the state of the art techniques, tips and real world solutions for divorcing employees in the workplace. You'll meet thought leaders from the divorce and the human resources industries from across the country. You'll hear from industry giants in the fields of mental health, legal matters, finance, issues with children, and so much more to help you help your employee through this incredibly challenging life event. So put it on your calendar and learn how you can make this process a better one for your team. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today on Divorce Right, HR Solutions for Divorce in the Workplace. My name is Vicki Townsend, and I'm the president and founder of Divorce Right. We have a solution for the issues that divorce can cause to your employees and to your company's bottom line. And today's topic It's a very interesting one today. We are going to be talking about divorce in the Jewish community, and I am joined today by Rabbi Noam Rauscher. Noam is a certified coach who focuses on it in no particular order healthy masculinity spiritual growth, relationships, and divorce. His background comes from extensive work and experience as an ordained rabbi and counselor to thousands of individuals, all walking different paths. No matter where you are as your coach, Noam offers the opportunity to walk with someone through the process rather than alone. When not coaching, Noam is either playing with his kids, hiking trails in Southern California, enjoying the beach, learning something new, or searching for the best breakfast burrito in did you find that, Noam? Have uh, well, you found that one yet?
1: I'm still searching, but I had a really good one this morning. It wasn't as tightly wrapped as I've had other ones in the past, but the <laughs> contents in and of itself—that's what really matters, I think—and that well, was good.
0: Sometimes that's all you need, right? But exactly. I do prefer them to be a little tight, you know, tightly wrapped so that nothing falls out.
1: Because maybe it, grilled a little bit, yeah.
0: It does. Well, Noam, let's just dive right in. So, what's the dirty little secret to Jewish divorce? To the Jewish divorce journey? That many might be
1: unaware of. Sure. Um, so, uh, for the most part, um, it's how it's how divorces, um, I would say, responded to or received in the Jewish community right? Um, Judaism, like a lot of faiths, is built on the idea of family and an intact family unit, right? It starts with marriage and then it goes to kids um, and eventually have this family in which the values that those cultures and those faiths pass down, particularly in Judaism, it's done in the family unit, right? Books have been written about this, scholars teach about it. Uh, And so divorce is generally seen as something that breaks that fabric for as natural as divorce is, not only just in terms of life, but also historically, right? Divorce is right there in the Torah, the Jewish, the beginning of the Jewish Bible, uh, alongside marriage. And so it's been there as a function of life, uh, and religious life and a faith-based or spiritual life since the, incre- since the creation of marriage. And so, um, Uh, Part of it is that the dirty little secret is that institutions and organizations are generally poor to respond to divorce. They don't know necessarily what to do. They might not have the staff to respond to it. Um, Staff who is present may not necessarily know how to respond to it specifically. There certainly isn't programming available. And then there's also kind of the general communal feel, right? If divorce is something that tears at the fabric, like we said, of family life and maybe cultural life as well um then you know if everyone else is married how do you feel in the context of that right do you and your ex first of all split time at the synagogue is that something that gets broken up in the settlement agreement what happens to the kids when they're in a faith-based supplementary school right how are they treated by other kids whose families are intact and again where family is such a central emphasis of the faith and of the culture Uh, And so generally, uh, it comes down to communal support in that way, right? And those institutions and organizations were there for communal support. And in divorce, it can feel like that communal support Uh, isn't there at all. Maybe not necessarily deliberately withdrawn, but certainly not as available as it was before and certainly not as easy to access or as easy to get involved in because you feel differently about it, because maybe you're seen differently by the community and individuals in it, uh, and also because life is just changing for you now. And so, Part of that dirty little secret is how those institutions respond and create space for people who are going through divorce. Uh, so that they can transition through it with a sense of meaning and a sense of love uh, and compassion as well.
0: Interesting, interesting. So, um, a- another question that, you know, that has always been interesting to me as I've learned about um, the Jewish divorce is, you know, that there are rituals. What are the rituals a-, a Jew can go through in order to gain perspective, a meaning towards their divorce, those types of things?
1: Sure, yeah. Um- You know, I like to look at divorce as being a a circumstance of loss, right? I was just talking with another friend on their grief podcast about the grief that's involved in divorce and how it's very different from the loss of an actual life. But there's a loss nonetheless, right? Not only of your marriage, but your family structure and the way you saw your family developing in a dream you may have had for family life. Uh, And so, you know, I would uh, suggest that anyone try to take on some of those traditional Jewish mourning practices that go in when you're actually grieving uh, the loss of a life. So that is to say, take some time for yourself first and foremost, and to just sit with it. Right. One of the major rituals that people do when there is a loss of life is called Shiva. And that just means sitting and you're supposed to sit there and be there and be in the motions, be in the experience of it, and then also be comforted by people. So you have to, for as best as you can, invite people into your life if you're going through divorce, right, and go into that ritual of sitting in some way just to kind of be with the experience of it and also invite people in to comfort you. It may be difficult, but nonetheless, inviting them in to do so is really kind of, you know, how you get that done. Um, I would also suggest that people maybe try to tear something right? Uh, part of the grieving process when there's a loss of a life is to tear a piece of clothing. So you signify the loss that's occurred, but then there's also amending, right? You sew that stitch up at the end of a period of time. and so what would that look like spiritually for someone to take something of theirs, some clothing and rip it and then also tear it for themselves or rip it and then mend it for themselves? Um, There's also bathing rituals, right? We have something called mikvah in the Jewish tradition, a ritual bath, which is primarily used for conversion, but can also be used for affirmation and is certainly there uh, for transitionary rituals. And so transitioning from married life to single life and to accepting divorce and affirming it, and still knowing that you're human on the other side of it is actually really essential. So going to a live body of water, if you don't have a a formal mikvah or ritual bath in your community, and many don't, but if you can find a natural body of water like the ocean or a lake or something like that, and do this ritual dipping process where you completely submerge and then reemerge on the other side, that could be really useful for people and seeing themselves as different. Um, And then I would also suggest the ritual of Havdalah, which is right now we celebrate Shabbat, the Sabbath. At the end of that period, We're supposed to take a candle and some wine and some incense. Uh, We're supposed to sing songs and we're supposed to bless all those things as a way of activating all five of our senses in different ways. But more importantly, it's to separate out the period of time. And so doing a Havdalah ritual can help us separate out literally the separation from the married life to divorce and to also honor the separation by knowing that those things come naturally in life and that there's nothing wrong with separating and that, that may very well lead to something new and beautiful, much like I've spoken about with a lot of people is that divorce may be a very sad and sometimes tragic thing, but at the same t- time it can, pr- it can produce a really wonderful opening for people to lead a new life in different ways. Um, but also essentially there's the get ritual, which is specifically related to divorce. Um, and in that way, you go to a group of rabbis and you apply for a get and they dissolve your marriage. And so while you may have gotten a civil divorce, right, which in theory takes care of everything, there's also the spiritual divorce and religious divorce that needs to take place, I think, in order for there to be closure, right? If you get married on two different levels, not only civilly, but religiously, then both of those marriages should be dissolved in the appropriate ways. And the get process spelled G-E-T-T or the get ritual can help provide that for people
0: is a get ritual is that something similar to like an annulment in the the catholic religion
1: i would say so i can't speak so specifically about what the annulment ritual is like in the catholic tradition but that's exactly what it seeks to do in the jewish tradition it annuls the marriage it makes it null and void and allows those people to go and find other partners for themselves religiously speaking civil divorce provides that as well um but in the american civil context right having nothing to do with religion and then it sounds like annulment in the, in the Catholic and Christian community is the same as getting a get in the Jewish community in many ways.
0: Interesting. Interesting. And I want to get, uh, when we do our training, I'd love to know more about that get and what, what happens in that process because sure. that can be um, uh, sometimes a challenge. Um, so. so question for you, what's the best way to manage divorce as a Jewish family?
1: Uh, so, One of the beautiful things, it's a great question. One of the beautiful things um, about the Jewish tradition is that we have customs and rituals for any number of things. Uh, And another beautiful thing about it is that many of them can be executed and performed at home, right? You don't need to go to a synagogue. You may need to do a little bit of research if you want to feel like you're doing it right. But that stuff is widely out there on the internet. So it's really easy to find any number of different manuals, Uh, you know, that can help you execute these rituals and perform them. Um, But I would say things that help you find a sense of stability. So um, when my ex and I, when we got divorced, we planned the whole thing out Um, You know, we would regularly celebrate Shabbat, the Sabbath, with our kids and make it an interactive process with them like a lot of parents do. You light the candles, you say the blessings over the candles and the wine and the challah, the ritual bread that we have. And then we also generally would have a meal that came along with it. And sometimes it was pizza, sometimes it was chicken nuggets, maybe a little bit more involved. Maybe there were friends that came over. Maybe we would watch a movie, Um, you know. And so we decided to tell them on a Friday afternoon. Um, because we knew we were heading right into the Shabbat ritual and the Shabbat time, which was meant to be a quality time experience, right? That's what Shabbat is all about. I I believe it's about quality time. And so, uh, you know, we told them right beforehand and it was an emotional experience for them as much as it was for us. And there were a lot of tears shed and a lot of words said, um, but all in the sense of getting it out there in really healthy ways. Uh, And then we went right into the Shabbat ritual, right? Giving them a sense of stability because Shabbat is something that occurs every week. And Mm -hmm. while the family is breaking and it breaks up that sense of stability that children might have in something that was really predictable um, and something that was sustaining for them, Shabbat then became that ritual that helps stabilize things in the sense of saying, okay, so the marriage is over, the family is not, but the marriage is over. And we still have other things that can remind us of that, that still do stick around like Shabbat, And so it became a thing for a while where me and my ex, even in divorce, even in the early stages of divorce, even when it was difficult for the boys, we would go over to each other's homes, depending on who had custody that weekend, and we would celebrate Shabbat with them. Even if it was just for 20 minutes to do the ritual, there was something important about being able to be there with the boys on a regular basis in a stabilizing way that says, you know, things change but some things also remain the same and we can find structure and stability in many of these rituals and celebrations. I would say holidays, holidays is another way to do that, right? To spend the quality time with one another. Um, and that is another stabilizing element of it. Again, if there's separation that occurs in a family unit and children don't see their families as often as they'd like, taking the time to carve out when it becomes a holiday or the Sabbath means a lot to children because it means that you're around in the context of separation.
0: Right, and 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 in something that would be a traditionally family um, tradition where both parents would normally be there. I love that. I, I really am, am, you know, really honored by the traditions of your religion and how it is about, you know, Keeping some things the same, and those traditions are are so important. Yeah. And yeah. I know, so I know that you kind of specialize in working with men during divorce. Yeah. Um, so what is and and not just religious and and the religious perspective, correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah, as well. I mean, non-Jewish and Jewish men alike. I specialize in working with them uh, in divorce uh, and wanting to help them go through that experience with grace and dignity uh, and meaning as well. So it's not just kind of another thing that happens to them, but something that you know can actually be a growth a, a growth experience for them, or something that provides growth to them.
0: So, what's the common experience of men
1: during divorce? So I would say uh, the common experience uh, that men have in divorce is that they have a tendency of isolating, Mm -hmm. right? When the going gets tough, um, for many men, you know, when times are good, everything's buddy buddy and you can rely on your friends. But sometimes when the going gets tough, we have a tendency of isolating and going things on our own in a real lone wolf kind of way. Uh, People may back away as well, right? Friends who are married may not want to touch your divorce with a 10-foot pole Mm -hmm. even to hear you vent because they might be afraid of getting divorce juice on them or being infected with it and not wanting to deal with that, or maybe because it'll reflect something about their current state of marriage that they don't want to really accept and deal with. So um, isolation can actually come from the self because, you know, you don't want to reach out to people for help. You're afraid of seeming weak. And also because people don't necessarily want to help, like I said, because they'd rather not be around divorce at all. Um, So acknowledging the pain that goes into divorce Uh, And acknowledging the isolation that you feel is actually really important. And then finding vessels by which you could put that pain and that confusion into is actually really helpful. Whether that's, you know, I I belong to a men's group for the past couple of years and we still meet regularly um, and finding other groups or maybe finding a therapist to which you can speak to, or even going to your pastor or rabbi or priest or imam, right, to speak to them. Right and just vent and being able to share of yourself and be seen in a real loving, non-judgmental way is really crucial. I I recently started a divorce group for dads, um, and there's guys from all over the country. We meet every other Monday, and it's been really useful just in guys sitting there and being able to share with each other about what they're going through, and then also hear from other guys about what they've been through, and so the cross-pollination of ideas and shared experiences really helps build a sense of community in the face of this isolation that might, again, be self-imposed or be outside of our control because the natural resources that we had prior to divorce aren't there anymore.
0: Right. And then you know, they get to know that they are not alone, right? That that whole, that the way that they isolate themselves makes them feel alone. But when they hear from other men that are going through some similar struggles, it must be very comforting for them and give them... Um, a sense of, you know, hopefulness, I would, I would imagine. Absolutely. So so as we wrap this up, Noam, can you kind of give uh, the HR directors and some supervisors that are listening today, some, some uh, tips on how they can help someone in their company that is Jewish, maybe just a male that's going through a divorce. How do you, how would you recommend HR managing and helping this process for those in the Jewish faith.
1: So I appreciate that. Uh, And so I'm going to suggest that, you know, while HR is really kind of like legally uh, focused in many ways, right. Appropriately. So, Mm -hmm. right. And also, you know, focused in a managerial way, I would ask that they put on, you know, a spirituality hat, which is to say, you know, ask people how connected they are. Right. So asking a guy, asking a man, Jewish or not, how they feel about the divorce, right, giving a chance to really open up, right, even in a professional environment, so they don't have to put on a mask, right, and kind of drum down their emotions, but that they can at least be seen in a safe and non-judgmental way is huge, so asking them about how they feel and how they want to feel, right, are very important questions, so not only about the experience they're having right then and there, but also what they hope for themselves in that way, how much further down the road Can they really see themselves and maybe work towards that, right? And so asking them about kind of what they've learned about themselves in the process of divorce and what they hope to see about themselves in the process of divorce, right? Relating the idea of the hero's journey, which is this idea of the departure, the ordeal, and then the return, right? A huge period of growth. This is found in uh, a lot of ancient mythology as well and constantly pops up now in modern stories too, is just a major theme of transition and growth, right? The departure is the divorce and the ordeal is still going through the divorce and and adjusting to that. And then the return is kind of accepting that you're now divorced and moving on and still living your life in other ways. And so it's a matter of how do you really see yourself in that process, right? What's going on? And so, you know, maybe HR professionals can use what's called the wheel of life exercise, which is found anywhere number of places on the web. It's for free. It's a great, like, personal evaluatory tool from a 10,000 foot perspective, in which it asks you just to rate on a scale of one to 10, you know, one being not so great and 10 being great, right? Where are these things in your life, like career and family and friendships and community and health and wealth and spirituality and hobbies and creativity? And you can just really kind of get a map for your life in terms of where you are now. And then again, saying like, where would you like to be with all this? How would you like this to look? Are you satisfied with this? Right. And so learning about yourself in the process is really huge and giving men a chance to really kind of reflect on that could be really useful to them. Uh, And then I would also say for anyone who's a father, right. And if HR knows this, that the person has kids asking them about what they want for their children in that process. And then also understanding that Men in particular still work very long hours, right, that the office is still considered a second home to them, um, that they still have a lot of anxiety about being a provider, and that may get turned up in divorce because Mm -hmm. they may not have the dual income that they had before, and so they've now got to really worry about work. And HR looking at it from a much more elastic perspective and a spiritual perspective, and saying someone's going through a major transition, and that's fact infect- that's affecting them in one way, but it will also inf- affect their children, and being compassionate towards that, and saying, okay, maybe you need a little bit of time, right, to spend more time with your children, and so we're going to speak to your boss about that and make things. Okay, for you. So you get that time. Maybe you don't need to come in as early. Maybe you don't need to stay as late. Maybe X, Y, and Z projects can be taken off your plate and you don't need to lose anything from work as a result of it. That guys might feel like, no, 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 I'm going to lose my edge. I'm going to lose my place. I'm going to lose respect. Knowing that they're protected in that way by HR because they're going through this experience could be really helpful, not only to them, but their children because they may really want their children to go through this as a healthy, as, in as healthy a way as possible, right? Knowing that children will inevitably be affected by the divorce and that they will inevitably need more time with their parents as a ways of soothing that transition and reaching stability again. And so thinking critically about what the children's experience is, even from an HR perspective, is actually really crucial, I would say, in the success of your employee in your organization.
0: Oh, wow. That was awesome. Wow. Noam, you are awesome. Thank you so much for this conversation. I really am looking forward to learning more from you about the the Jewish religious divorce and, and also divorce with men. Thank you so much for being with us today. And I just want to remind everybody that every Monday morning, we drop another podcast with H.R. Solutions for divorce in the workplace. So thank you, Noam, for joining us today. We will see you all next week. And have a great day, everyone. Bye for now. Thanks for having me, Vicky. Thank you, Noam. Thanks so much for joining us on Divorce Right, HR Solutions for Divorce in the Workplace. If you know someone who would benefit from something you've learned today, please share this with them. And if you found value, please leave us a review.